Good afternoon, Ben. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm a guy with a camera here. If you die, can I have your car? Sweet. <laughs> Curious ramblings. <laughs> right, let's do it. Let's do it to it. You ready? Good afternoon. <clears throat> yeah, good afternoon, Albert. I have so much more energy than last week. <laughs> <laughs> You're well rested this week? Pretty well rested, yeah. No shenanigans on a Friday night this time. <laughs> Couple of good nights sleep. So, yeah. Sounds good. I don't want to say it, but I felt I carried last week's episode to start off with. Yeah, I think you did because I just oh, I wanted to curl up and die. <laughs> got there in the end, and when I was editing, I was like, far out, this guy, just, who is this clown? <laughs> who is this dude? Ten episodes in, so episode 11. We're really doing it, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were supposed to have a special guest today. We were, but, but he's, he's ill. He's ill, possibly COVID, Epis- maybe not. Oh, no, really? Maybe not. Okay, because he was on episode one, and so he, was, he would have yeah. been on episode double one too. He did. He felt shortchanged that yes. he, <laughs> he received the least amount of time out of all of our guests, yeah. but um, he'll be on next week. We'll totally redeem ourselves <laughs> for him next week. Uh, so beer. We've got a beer. Would you what like we to have? drink some? Yeah. Cheers. Viva. Viva. Oh, that's lovely. Mm. That is lovely. So this one's called a Mosaic Cold IPA, and I went to my local craft beer shop i guess we'll call it because mm-hmm. it's just got wall-to-wall craft beers and the gentleman uh offered me some help because i was just staring blankly at this wall of wall of beers like i <laughs> just like i was like at the library just pretending i can read um and he said what are you sort of beers do you like and i said at the moment i've been drinking kolsch and he was sort of like disappointed like oh kolsch that's just such a weak beer really i don't know he just had like this air of disappointment about him like talking to my dad <laughs> and then <laughs> So anyway, he pointed this one out and he said it's sort of like a, it's an, an IPA, but almost like an IPA and a Kolsch had unprotected sex and had a baby. <laughs> and this is the beer that resulted. So it's uh, the coolest new trend in IPA, clean, crisp, easy drinking, 100% mosaic hopped beer made with German Pils malt. And, and imagine it like cold like a lager. So, yeah, so that's something you learned last week. Yeah, so finally putting my knowledge into use. <laughs> but yeah, this is really... Delightful. I'm surprised you like this so much because it has quite a bit of flavour to it. I think because it's got that Kolsch element to it that mm. just brings things down to my level. <laughs> Delightful. Good. Good choice. Been. So this is um, from Frio, did you say? Fremantle. Yep. yep. Western Australia. I don't know if there's another Fremantle float around somewhere. <laughs> That's good. Um, my week, yeah, been a pretty good week, I guess. I'm just trying to think what happened. Nothing really super interesting. Watch the origin. Oh, yeah. That was an epic game. Very back and forth. A bit disappointing, the end result. That sport, that origin is unrivaled in intensity, in my opinion. It is, yeah. There's nothing like it. I love watching it. Who was the... Because I, I watched three games of rugby league a year, and they're the state of origin games, right? <laughs> so, because I'm, I'm not a huge fan of rugby, I appreciate appreciate the sport and, you know, the intensity if, and the quality of, of if, origin. Yeah, even though you're born in that rugby league even heartland. Even though I was born in the heartland of, yeah. But, you know, we moved over here when I was a wee lad and, and stopped watching it. It was never televised, really, when I was a kid, so it was... Anywho. Did you ever go to, go to Western Reds games? Yeah, I went to a few when they played at the Wacker, which is an interesting segue to our guest today, but we'll talk about yeah. it later. Western Reds, yeah, I think I remember going to see them versus the Seagulls Manly. They got hammered, absolutely yeah. flogged. They weren't so great. Like most weeks. I, I remember when I watched um, the Reds, I watched quite a few games, and there was this, I wouldn't say heckler, it was just one of these guys who shouts every couple of minutes. And he was up at the back, he just kept shouting, buckets of blood, buckets of blood. 
the whole time, 80 minutes of him saying that, basically yeah. every couple of minutes. Jesus Christ. And it's probably because Western Reds were so poor. No. Oh, they had a couple of seasons where they were mid-table. Yeah. But, yeah. I think I had a Western Reds hat to support the team. <laughs> which I noticed you haven't done your hair today. Uh, that's because I've got a hat, which I will put back on. Yeah, because thank you. Just I was looking at you, it's just, just distracting. It's like you've got a really bad comb over. It's like a mop. You could <laughs> yeah. turn me upside down and use me to clean the kitchen. So there was almost there was a, a tackle in the first few minute minute or something, and there was New South Wales player looked concussed, but apparently the doctor didn't see the footage and he stayed on the field. Oh. Yeah, so that, he he was out. He was stumbling around, didn't know where he was. Do you think they called it? Do you think they called it a little bit too early? At the end of the final whistle? For sure. That I was thought he got tackled with about... I swear he got up and he played the ball with a second left. Yeah, yeah. And they were, he was, they were a metre from the try line. Yeah. And don't have any tackles they had left. No, they still have a few. But as soon as 80 minutes is up... Yeah. It's not like Union where they keep playing keep until going, the ball yeah. goes out. But I feel like you said, yeah, I think they he got up, played it, and then... I don't know. Who, who knows? That's my sort of thing with rugby league. Even though they play 80 minutes, which is pretty... It's such an intense sport. Yeah. I find that out of the 80 minutes, about 10 minutes is where they're not playing. It's sort of the ball's gone out, but the time still runs. Yeah. Compared to, say, soccer or well, AFL, AFL, where it's time off. Yeah. And that's the thing with rugby. But I guess it's such an intense sport and it's hard. Yeah, it makes it, makes it a, bit more, a little bit different, I guess. How are you handling the cost of living? Have you swapped from lettuce to cabbage? No, not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. No, it is noticeable, eh? Like, you go to the shops and you buy four or five items and, and $80. Like, what? Yeah. What? 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 <laughs> so, Got half a bag. It's Good. annoying. Yeah, petrol prices, everything is just... Well, that's why we're only drinking one beer today. Is that right, Well, yeah, because they're $10 a beer. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. And obviously, my cryptocurrency hasn't made me rich yet. So, <laughs> that's right. Maybe, maybe next week when the price goes up, we'll have two or three beers. So, what did you do this week apart from the origin and um, working your lovely job? I have pages of stuff to talk about. <laughs> Not really. So, booked me. finally booked Bali, Bali holiday. So, yeah. my brother was said last early in the year we're going to Bali. Is your brother on TV too? Heston Blumenthal. Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. he looks exactly like him, mate. Uh, so, he finally booked the flights and the accommodation because we had a credit for last year when we had to cancel because of COVID. Yeah. So, just reuse that. Booked my flights on the toilet with my phone the other day, just as, as a normal dude does. Open an email, email from Jetstar. Hey, Bali flight's on sale. <laughs> it's like, you, you motherfuckers, oh. just after I booked it. Fortunately, the days that I picked the, were yeah. still the same, but I was like, what, 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 what are the chances? <laughs> I was, yeah, I was so angry I couldn't shit. So um, you, flights, accommodation, yeah. surf tour? No surf tour, but I think I, I might try and get some waves this time, yeah. hire a bodyboard. And catch some Just waves. be careful you don't come over with any other substances like... I put all that in my anus. I don't, <laughs> yeah, don't put it in a bodyboard bag. Not like old uh, Miss Corby. Yeah. Uh, I still haven't been able to get back into the gym. It's been a couple, a few months. You are, getting, you are looking a bit soft. A bit, yeah, no, I feel soft and tired. And so I thought, I'm going to get some pre-workout because that, I'll take that before I finish work and yeah. that'll give me the motivation. So I googled one that I used to take, Jack 3D, I think it's called, okay. or Jacked. Jacked. Yeah, and it's they've got a new recipe. The original recipe that I used to take has actually been banned. The reason, one of the reasons I saw was because it was basically it was basically speed. It, it's uh, so they banned it in Australia, they banned it in England, and actually now thinking back on it, when I would take it, I would have like heart, I guess heart palpitations, 
I would tingle all over and just the motivation and energy was unparalleled. It was, it was, I was on speed. More energy. More energy. I remember driving mum home from work once. Going 200 k's an hour. And she said to me, she goes, you've had that pre-workout stuff, haven't you? I'm like, yes, yes, driving this. Like 200 k's an hour down there. We're not on the German autobahn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was a little surprised when I, I knew, I think I sort of knew it was almost basically a drug. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't aware of the heart ramifications. So no more of that. <laughs> <laughs> no more of that. What else have we got? What's your favorite chocolate bar? My favourite chocolate bar, good question. Every time I go and look for for chocolate, I'm always it takes me about ten minutes to decide. Favourite chocolate bar twirl. I think twirls maybe I, I do like a flake, but I feel like a flake you eat half of it, the rest of it ends up on your t shirt okay, or on the floor. Yeah, it I, flakes. It flakes. <laughs> and I think that a twirl is an updated version. Oh right, because it's of wrapped in chocolate. Yeah. yeah, okay. Okay. A twirl. That's so simple. A twirl. I do like a cherry ripe and a crunchy, yeah. but if I could only choose one, it would be a twirl. Wow, okay. Yours? A curly whirly? Curly whirly. I do, oh, you know, because the caramel, but Mars bars, I think Mars bar. It's got the caramel, it's got the soft, gooey nougat, whatever in the middle, the chocolate. I can't go past a Mars bar. To be honest, anything that's not dark chocolate. Oh, okay. Come at me. Come at me, bro, in an aggressive manner. <laughs> uh, interesting fact. So I'm just talking lots. Yeah, you just just keep going. Just keep going. I'm You're making you. up for last week. I'm making up for last week. Energy, more energy. Because <laughs> I read the letter that you wrote me, and you said, "Dear Ben, you know, considering leaving the podcast, because <laughs> would you know? Actually, I'm going to cover the answer. What's the longest distance someone has walked barefoot over Lego? Four point two kilometers. You are halfway there. Eight point four kilometers. It's pretty much eight point nine kilometers. Wow. Yeah. It's. I was talking. So you set that up. See, that's so funny because we had the the same conversation at our coffee truck today uh, yeah. during the week, and uh, Lorenzo, my project manager, he said the same thing, and I was like, no, they just did it in like a square, so they didn't have to set up nine kilometers of Lego; they just uh. walked continuously around a square, and that makes way more sense, right? So it does. Got, yeah. I'm just wondering where they set that up. Yeah, set up yeah. nine kilometers, <laughs> nine kilometers of Lego, just on West Coast Highway. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of Lego too, but that is intense, and why? Um, are they in a Guinness Book of Records? They are now, or? yeah. Guinness World Record. An American person. In the book, though? Uh, do you want to be in the book, wouldn't you? Do they still make the book? Yeah, they do. Okay. I feel like that's one that's book. That's something that I used to always have in the 90s. Just buy a Guinness World Records every yeah. year? And I even got one in about 2012. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever thought about trying to do a record so you can get in there? No. No? Oh, no, okay. No, no. <laughs> Not, not at all, because I don't think it would be possible. I feel like there's something simple that there's a record that's easily attainable by a regular person. The amount of times you clean your apartment in one week? I think I'd fall short because you know, I know people who have OCD and stuff. But something like there's one about eating the most number of Ferrero Rochers in a minute. And it's something, it's quite, it seems quite low. It's like six or nine or something. Is that all? Yeah, so you think that, right? But you have to unwrap each of them. And they've got the flaky sort of crumbly biscuit stuff in there, which dries your mouth out. I reckon next week we we'll go for the go. record. Should we give it a I go? I reckon we do, yeah. All right. So we need a box of Ferrero Rochers and then give it a go. That's yep. going to be an entertaining minute for people who listen. Because what I'm going to do next week, I'm going to bring the GoPro. I might film it. Okay. And Shit. that'll be... Um, I'll have to shave. <laughs> have to do your hair. I have to do my hair. Have Take to off your glasses. I have to put some pants on. <laughs> Yeah. It's either that or the Rubik's Cube and trying to juggle all three of them or whatever like that. Maybe we should just start simple <laughs> trying to solve like a four-sided one <laughs> instead of juggling and solving, yeah. 
No, that sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. So the Ferrero Rocher challenge? Yeah. All right. And we've got ballerine as well, yeah. so... So we'll all try it? We'll all try it. <laughs> I feel like if you could just swallow them whole, maybe someone's going to die Is someone next week. Is Yeah, someone's going to... Do we need a doctor on the scene? Yeah. <laughs> do we need Fabrizio to come on? Maybe, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Should we go to our guest? So... Yeah. Our guest is someone who, she was the first woman to be appointed to a managerial position in the history of Australian cricket. She Crazy. also worked for the Dockers a while ago. She was on the board of the Wacker. So definitely well entrenched in sport and someone I, I can't wait to have a chat to. It's really interesting because I know this person. I've met her a few times. Yep. Uh, and you have mentioned that she works uh, for the Wacker. And in the past. In the she, past. Yeah, she was on the board. And she did work before that, I believe. Yeah. For the West Australian crew. But I had no idea she was so accomplished. That's really amazing. And we've got her on this... On our accomplished on our, podcast. Yeah, on our accomplished <laughs> podcast, yeah. So... Let's get her on the phone. Do it. Good afternoon, Narelle. Good afternoon, Albert. Good afternoon, Narelle. Hello, Ben. Hi. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today. Albert's been going through some um, of your information and your history, and I'm just blown away. So it's really nice of you to take the time out and, and chat to us lowly scumbags. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of you. It's my pleasure. So, Narelle, as you know, um, I said to you before, Ben and I, um, we're massive cricket fans. We play cricket together. It's debatable who was better. Um, oh, but is, it, is it debatable? Yeah. I think you're the better bowler. I'm the better batter. Yeah, and I've got you in the fielding. And I think I'm a better wicketkeeper. Okay, so we're even. <laughs> so, so we're even. But with Ben and I, uh, we're in our mid to late 30s. So we grew up in the, I guess, the golden age of Australian cricket in the in the mid 90s, early 2000s, where Australia dominated. And and I guess you were a part of. Um, you worked for Australian cricket. Was it from 96 to 2000? Yeah. And. Um, Just so. Yeah, sorry. A fantastic era in the game, yes. It was, and, and I guess um, sport has developed so much. So when you were with Australian cricket, I guess um, internet became widely available. The days of having beers and smoking cigarettes after each day of, day of cricket sort of slowly transitioned out. Did you see um, a big change during that time? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that the um, after-game traditions transitioned out very quickly, but yes, I was lucky enough to start off at state cricket and then go through to Australian cricket, which gave me sort of a grounding in just remembering what's important to the community about the game. You see a lot more of that at state level because you're at the ground and you're in touch with members and you're in touch with fans a bit more. And then arriving at Australian cricket at a time when we absolutely did not understand what the internet was. You know, that really arrived in Australia in, what, about 94 or something. And one of my responsibilities at Australian cricket was to run licensing. And someone had signed a company named Catability to a, an internet contract. And the contract was very much like we'd signed up a book author. It said, you have to submit three copies of all content for approval. Approval could take a period of you know, four to six weeks. And I went and met with this little company and they sat down and had to explain to me that, mm, you know what, it's not going to work that way. This thing is live. And it was just, it was a totally new concept. And going back and trying to explain to the sport that we had this opportunity to promote the game through this free flexible, wide-reaching channel, uh, we didn't know what to do with it initially and they really had to, to teach us. They were the first company in Australia to 
put out a, a sports CD-ROM, they, which, you know, at the time, an interactive CD-ROM, that was amazing for cricket fans. They had afl.com.au, they had acb.com.au. They, they really were the pioneers of sport and the internet coming together in Australia. And so they educated sport about what the internet was and what we could do with it. And then that led to, it was about that time the Players Association was coming to life and the whole issue of the rights of players and copyright and, excuse my dog barking in the background, <laughs> and what permissions needed to be gained and how we'd need to change a player's contract, what we thought was fair and reasonable to include in their standard contract and what they needed to be paid for beyond their paying fee uh, because suddenly all of these issues about uh, content were going to become that much more complex. Now, television had always been the revenue source of cricket, but the internet was opening up a channel that was just so much more complex and had lots and lots and lots of small partners rather than this one big partner that you could do one big deal with. So that in itself set the administration of sport, not just cricket, but sport in Australia, a whole heap of challenges about how to manage it. And of course, created fantastic opportunities. I can remember the first time that uh, on our website, we put up the opportunity for the public to send best wishes messages to the players. So if there was in the lead up to a game that we would open it up or in the lead up, particularly if the players were playing overseas, and we'd say, send your best wishes in. And it was phenomenal. It was just a floodgate of people sending in just lovely little messages and their own stories about their favourite players and all sorts of things. And, you know, we were trying in those days to check every single message before so people would send it in and you'd read it and then you'd push to publish it. Having no idea about what sort of volume was going to come at us, that suddenly became unmanageable because wow. of just how Australian fans wanted this amazing opportunity to finally talk directly to the players. And then we started getting the players involved and, you know, it just just kicked off this whole era of where I think athletes and fans now uh, take that connection for granted, that, that we, they can speak directly. They just didn't in those days. You know, they were held off from the crowd to a certain extent and certainly if you weren't at the game, you weren't interacting with them. So what an amazing marketing tool, of course, for sport, which is all about the tribe of fans and following their favourite players and teams and clubs. Yeah, just an amazing era in the change of the game. That is amazing. I think we do take it for granted now with social media, with Facebook and Instagram and, and just Twitter. thinking and, yeah, exactly. And, and back then that would have been almost like a revolutionary sort of yeah. achievement to be able to interact. I feel like uh, it would have been like more fan mail Sorry, right man. now. Like back then, people would have been gushing to say, you know, Mark, why well, I love you, you're my favourite player. But yes. they say saying, now we take it for granted and there's so many negative sort of trolls out there. But back then, would that have been the oh, case or is it just more so all positive? I, 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 I can't remember us having a problem of people wanting to say negative things, not yeah. even about the opposition. Yeah, you know, right. Cricket has been a game where you were respectful. So if the opposition did something great, Australian fans jumped on and said, wow, wasn't that amazing? And they didn't see that they were doing anything harmful to the Australian team by respecting the performance of the opposition, which is a wonderful aspect of the game. And then compare that to now, every cricketer has their own social media channels 
they have their own contracts, they're making their own statements live on any issue they like, not just the team's issues. And so the, the, the difference between that and back then, we were worried about uh, every tiny little comment from a person and they were only commenting positively about the one thing, the, the players or the playing of that particular match. So, you know, it was a, it was a tiny slither of all of the things that players comment on these days. And yet back then, the approach was to try to control it, try to manage it to the point where we were sanitising every word. Whereas now, of course, the internet is, it's about freedom of speech in real time. And it's not about control. It's about structure, sure, and hopefully about education and um, helping people to use that forum well. But it's certainly not about control. Uh, and it's become a massive income earner and a brand creator. Mm. So, you know, the game used to be the be-all and end-all brand. It was all about the baggy green. It was all about playing for your country. And that was the forefront. And then you had strong player brands. And, you know, remember the good old days of player cards and all of those things of trying okay. to say, hey, remember this player. They play for that brand that you love. Whereas now there are players that are bigger than the game and, and, you know, players playing in the Indian League and transferring themselves to different um, teams and clubs and, you know, it's, it's a machine now. It's a commercial machine. It certainly wasn't in those days. It was just the beginning of the commercial machine. And so for me as a marketer, that opportunity to find out what the internet was, be creative about what on earth we would do with it and then think about rights and benefits and responsibilities of uh, what came with that and how it would set the game up from that point forward. You know, we were at that foundation level of saying, okay, so we've got to go right back to the basics of player rights. We've only previously thought about player rights of playing the game. Now it's much more about the player rights of everything that's beyond the game. They were big questions and we had no precedent. And, yeah, so as a marketer, what a joy to be in an opportunity like that where you really get to participate in something different, new and genuinely innovative. And with that, um, the time that you were there, the Australian cricket team was performing so well. Did that also make life a little bit easier because you were working for an association yeah. and, or, or yeah. a sports club you know, that was, it was the best? Um, it was just such a thrilling time. And as a marketer, you know, again, I'd come from state level where your job is to try to get people to come to the game and to remind people that a game is on. And so it's constantly about, hey, try and pay attention to us. We got to the point at Australian cricket where our concern was that we were winning so often and so well that people would turn off, that they would start to be bored by an Australian team that seemed to be untouchable. Uh, and, you know... Wow, what a great marketing problem to have, to be worried that crowds would be so satisfied that they don't bother to come, rather than you know our usual problem of holding them back. It didn't happen, fortunately. People just could not get enough of the team. It didn't matter how good the winning streak was. They just wanted to come and um, participate. And some of the personalities of that era, you know, they were genuinely some of the, the greatest of the game. I don't think... At the time, we realised that how lucky we were that it was it was that era, and it went on beyond me, you know, into the the two thousands. But yeah, just some amazing personalities. And I look at that team and I think, yes, their on field performance was incredible, but it was 
the makeup of some of the individuals of that time, they were great men. They were characters, they were grounded, they were driven by their passion for playing for their country. They were long-term thinkers, big-picture thinkers. They were strategists. Uh, they were great leaders. And so they came together behind the scenes and they set new standards for each other. It wasn't being done by anyone to them. That was coming organically out of the team. And they challenged themselves to plan to be brilliant and to be dominators and to find a way to change the game and to accelerate to be the number one team in the world. So I haven't played club cricket, as you know, Albert. I'm not an athlete by <laughs> any means, but I remember my very basic understanding of day one of a test match was that on day one, if you were batting, you really just tried to make it to lunch without losing a wicket. Yeah. And that was considered to be a very pleasant, successful morning. You know, there'd be a lot of nice dove clapping uh, <laughs> around the ground as there were slow runs scored on that first morning. And that's what you were aiming for, to just protect your wicket and get through to lunch and sort of set the tone and take up a good chunk of the five days. Yeah. That, that era of cricketers, they asked themselves the question, what should we be aiming for from the first ball of a test match? So they challenged this idea of having the first session as a warm-up, effectively, and they decided to set themselves run targets in those early overs and certainly in that first half of the first day, and that turned the game on its head. You know, test cricket went from that classic five-day schedule to the game becoming shorter and shorter because they used the time so much more productively they wanted to get in and dominate and take the game by the throat and put the opposition in a position where they could defeat them and absolutely defeat them within the five days. You know, that was incredibly, for a game that had been played for a long time, that was a real innovation of the way that Test Match Cricket was played. And it made the game exciting, made it great for fans, made it great for television. You know, that all came from within that team, within, within that squad, within those players. They were amazing thinkers, apart from amazing players. They could challenge the game, they could set themselves new standards, and then they could actually go and execute, they could deliver. I mean, what a fantastic combination. That's amazing. And I guess with what you said, um, they were thinkers, they were thinking about, I guess, the long-term picture as well, with a group of such successful athletes at the time. Was that also challenging with organising? Um, I, I know yeah. you organised like the 1999 World Cup parades I think you organize them could it be challenging as well with such confident successful a group of men basically dominating was that a challenge as well yeah the 99 world cup we pulled off that amazing win and I can remember we had a staff function at crown casino because in those days you know the Packers being so much a part of cricket yeah. where else would staff go for a for a function so we were in a private room watching the final on the big screen and the staff being hysterically excited when the win was there and thinking, right, okay, you know, what are we going to do from here? Because of the superstitions of the team, we had not been allowed to talk to them or to management or even amongst ourselves was the promise we made to them. We would not plan 
a strategy for if we won. They considered that that would, you know, be against their superstitious beliefs. So we had had no conversation about what to do. So we sat there that in the early hours of the morning, I think it was, and we made plans about what we'd like to do. And then we contacted the team and said, okay, we've got all these great ideas for what we want to do with you. And they said, no, do you know what? It's been a long summer and this has been really, you know, a, a fantastic time and all the wives and families are here so we're all just going to go on holidays we're going to we're thinking you know we're just going to break off into our own groups um and I put my foot down and said in the nicest way we really want you back you know you've just won your country's excited we really want you to come back and the feedback from the team was no one will care it's lovely that you think that that's important but you know they watch the match and that's great no one's going to care about celebrating this win with us. And we convinced them to give that a go and to trust us and to come back. So we, they weren't that thrilled about bringing the families back and not having this great opportunity for a holiday uh, and coming back. So they landed and we put them through a pretty arduous um, three or four days. They landed into Melbourne. We did a private play a function first of all um we had jimmy barnes come in and do a uh, a guest spot for them because of course his song is so important to them young up-and-coming eddie mcguire MC to function for just players and families and sponsors and so we did our own little night first and then the next day we had a parade through Melbourne and the day after that a parade through Sydney and some civic functions in each place and we pulled all of that together in less than a week and got the team back. It was wow. just a, a phenomenal time to organise it. And Melbourne's parade blew the players' minds. The city shut down. We had ticker tape parades. And the players were just amazed that the public was that connected to them. So these days we think of it like a grand final parade. Cricket hadn't done that before. They hadn't put the players out there to let the fans celebrate with them. So we had them in the open cars two at a time and there was Steve Waugh and Shane Warne with the World Cup between them waving at the crowds from the back of their car, wearing their Australian jackets. Do you remember the Australian jackets of those days? They were those horrible vertical ones. striped things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, they just, the smiles and the shock and when the parade finished and we went inside for the civic function, they were just talking to each other and saying, I can't believe how many people were out there. So that every street was absolutely packed. There was no room between the street and the buildings and the whole route of the parade was completely packed and people were screaming at them. Uh, and it was, it was such a beautiful celebration of everything that was great about Australian cricket. And you could see that it wasn't just the city workers who'd come down to the pavement, but there were people who had come into the city. And when you looked up, there were people hanging out the windows, waving, and they'd made signs and all sorts of things. You know, it was just incredible. So we did that in Melbourne, had a reception, got on a plane, went to Sydney, did that the next day in Sydney, did a civic reception, then went to Canberra and had a bipartisan event at Parliament House. And then uh, John Howard had sent through an invitation and said, this is John Howard, the person, not John Howard, the Prime Minister. I'd really like to have you guys over for dinner. So we ended up having Chinese on our laps at the lodge to wrap it all up at the end. Wow. <laughs> um, and Steve Waugh and Glenn McGrath had both promised their wives that they would come home 
um, being Sydney boys, that they would come home that night. So in Canberra, when the function at the lodge was finished, there were no flights out, so we'd uh, booked a, a private car. And so I was at the door of the lodge. This car came with its, you know, like a chauffeured car to, to drive the two of them back to Sydney. And um, just putting the two of them in the car and them just being so thankful. You know, at that point, it had the, the, those few days, I think, were the first time in a long time that they had felt the absolute adoration of the Australian public. And for two guys who, from everything I know of them, are incredibly grounded, humble people who genuinely play for the great love of the game, uh, they were just so appreciative and heading off home to their families to, to spend, um, you know, such special, to, to get back to something that was so important to them, which was to spend family time. But they were going, being really appreciative that we'd stolen that three days from them, whereas when the team had been on its way out, they were really questioning that it was worth them spending that time. And I, I was just so proud for them that the Australian public had come out and done that and that people of all ages and all backgrounds had wanted to come out and just say, job well done, guys. We're so proud of you. This is Australia. This is our sport. You know, this this is our our champion team. The captain of Australia does wear a baggy green and uh, we're just so proud of you. It was incredible, just amazing memories. That is amazing. Sounds incredible. You, how you've just flipped it on its head from them not so keen and then being absolutely, I guess, flabbergasted with the support um, that they received. And again, Albert, you think about that now. Because of the internet, you have people's opinions so easily. Yeah. Now, that's what the internet has done. But back then, there just wasn't a way. Communication was a one-way street, so the newspapers would write about them. It wasn't as if they weren't talked about. It wasn't as if they weren't celebrities. Yeah. But they didn't know what people thought about them. They didn't know the extent to which people cared. Sure, if they went to a cricket environment, they knew that the games were sellouts and they got standing ovations. And, and so they knew that the cricket crowd loved them. They didn't know that Australia loved them, I don't think, to that, to that extent. They didn't have an opportunity for that tangible demonstration of how much the public cared, even though that was a few years on then by yeah. the time the internet had been enforced, it really, you know, fan interaction hadn't come to the level that it has now. And so it was um, just a big eye-opener for them. And then in the year 2000, I ran a tournament, or I was a, a match director of a tournament that we ran that Malcolm Speed, the then CEO, had designed with South African cricket, the world's only one-day international match played under a roof, which we played at Docklands. And... Mm. Again, we tried to innovate and use the latest technologies and things. And one of the things that we could do was to um, use the roof. So we used some laser lighting and we wrote the players' signatures on the roof. And we decided we would do that by calling each player individually onto the ground rather than here comes Australia and they all just wander out, that we'd say it's Steve Waugh, and as he walked out, his name would come across the roof, and then, hey, it's Ricky Ponting, and his name would come across the roof. When I briefed the players that that's what they were going to do, they were so embarrassed, and they said, don't be ridiculous. People don't care. They don't want, you know, we're just the Australian team. We just come out as the Australian team. And then again, the first time that we did it, the crowd just went nuts, 
and you could tell the different reactions for different players of, of both teams. Um, and it was one of the things the players talked to me about at the celebration event that we had for sponsors and so on at the end of the event. Um, Steve Warren and Shane Warne came and talked to me and said, that was amazing, what are we going to do next? And during the event, players had come up from the opposition team to say to me, uh, can you ask the announcer, they're getting my, my name slightly wrong, can you help the announcer to get my name right? You know, some of the South African team players. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, they all cared. They, they, they started to see that they could have this individual recognition inside still being what's most important is the team and being part of the team, but that it was okay to balance, hey, here's me as an individual player as well. Whereas now in the game, you know, we know every individual player, be it AFL or golf or cricket or whatever, you have so much opportunity to know them or or to know what the public persona of them is at least and to be able to interact with them to a certain point of view. But in the 90s, it's not that long ago, that just wasn't possible. It was all becoming possible thanks to technology. That's for sure. Right? Everyone has their own social media sites now and and have their own brand really rather than the Australian brand. They've got their own brand, which is their individual sort of persona. With that, you yeah. mentioned a couple of awesome cricketers. One person um, who definitely, I think, has had a massive impact on every cricket fan's life is Shane Warne. I wanted to ask you, how do you remember Shane Warne? Because obviously you worked there, you know him, you were at functions that you've organised and were with him. How do you remember him? I remember him as just a lovely person. So I know that there's a lot about Shane that was hard for people to take. He was the first person to say, hey, I'm not perfect. You know, He was on record so many times as saying, I'm just a bloke who plays cricket and loves the game and, you know, I think one of his great strengths was that he was so clear on who he was and who he wasn't and that he was pretty consistent with that throughout his entire career and, and um, sadly through a life cut terribly too short. The shame one I remember, I remember one day at the MCG in the lead-up to a game we would have a player's, uh, a kids' clinic and at the MCG, of course, being such a big venue, you can have a lot of kids. So the Victorian Cricket Association would organise clinics um, and we'd have little games happening all over the ground and all these kids. And then for a certain period of time, the Australian players would come and we'd split them. Not all the players would come. We'd, grab, we'd have a sort of a roster where the players would only have to do so many of these clinics because for most of the players, it's like, really? I've got to do a clinic? Okay. Uh-huh. So they would be rostered on to go and do a clinic um, and it's the MCG and so we had Warney rostered as well as a couple of other players to go out that day. And the clinic finished and the players had finished up and left and Warney said to the kids, so the kids were scrambling for autographs, so some of them had brought hats and cut player cards and all sorts of things and I remember he just, off his, completely off his own bat, he said to the kids, hey, it's okay, I'm not leaving the ground till I've signed something for every one of you. What I want you to do now is I want you to line up here for me and they formed this line across the MCG. I want you to line up and I've got a pen and I just want you to hold out whatever it is you want me to sign. So it wasn't the era of mobile phones. They weren't taking selfies, <laughs> yeah. but they, they wanted a signature. The signature was the 
the selfie of that time. And so he went along this queue in his own time, no prompting from anyone else, and he said something to every one of those children. He would say, hi, how are you? It's so great for you to be here and thanks very much for coming and on to the next one. And he would do it again. And he just went up this queue until literally there wasn't a child left. And then he said, yep, okay, I'm off. You know, no media, no fanfare, no public acknowledgement of what he'd done, just hundreds of little kids going home so thrilled that they'd had time with their hero. I mean, you know, he really was a gift to the game. He brought his incredible on-field talent. He brought one of the greatest cricket strategic brains ever. He brought personality to the game at a time when we were moving from sport presentation to entertainment and the game needed characters and entertainers and off the field he brought a brand that was fashion and um, you know so many other cool things attached sport to so many other cool things I remember when they came to Perth for a test match which might have been when my time was in state cricket rather than in before before I'd gone to Australian cricket but came for a test match and one of the nights there were a group of players who we were out at a venue. I think we were at the hippie club or somewhere and um, not that late. And, you know, they weren't drinking that much, but they were just out having a beer after the game <laughs> to relax. And there were about five or six players standing in a circle with about, I don't know, five or six others of us. And I kid you not, every person that went past this circle of, of us, which included some other amazing players as well, wanted to talk to Warney. And it didn't matter that he was drinking his beer or having a conversation with someone in this little group. They wanted his attention and so they would tap him. So people would go past and just tap him on the arm or stand really close to his shoulder and get into his personal space to the point where you really couldn't ignore that they were there. So I was in this circle and I wasn't on that side of the circle. So it wasn't like they were bumping me or anything like that. It was making me crazy thinking, oh, my goodness, can you people just give him some respect or some space or but he just he just took it all in his stride didn't didn't get anxious about it didn't get upset about it and each person would say warning i just wanted to say you know i love you so much and he'd say thanks so much are you coming to the game tomorrow and they'd say yeah i think so and he'd say great look forward to seeing you there or something like that you know he just he would take the time to connect he didn't brush people off um, the number of women that, you know, wanted his attention in that little space of time, I think, oh, my God, he must have batted back more women than just about any other man in history. It was it was a phenomenal attraction that people of all walks of life just found something about Warney that they adored. And I think the game was so blessed to have someone who could bring so much at a time when the game was changing so much. So had he been that brilliant talent um, 10 years earlier, we would never have capitalised on all of the other amazing things about Warney. You know, the first guy to have a Nike contract, um, there's a guy named David Emerson of Victorian Cricket who I think organised that contract when Warney was still at state level or perhaps had been managing him at state level and did it when he got to Australian level. You know, that that was an unheard of thing. Again, that went back to, wow, so a player wants to wear their own shoes. What's that going to do to player rights? And, you know, Mm. brought in a whole new era of players wanting individual sponsors. And this was a giant international company paying attention to a little Australian athlete. 
Uh, and you look at now how the Australian athletes are some big players on the international stage in all kinds of sports. Um, but that was all new then. And, and he brought a lot of that attention and uh, commercialism and, and just entertainment to the game, which lifted the game at a time when sport was lifting its profile as a whole. And it enabled cricket to stay a very large part of the Australian sports entertainment scene. Kind of sounds like the Michael Jordan of cricket, right? Because Jordan did the same thing with Nike oh, and his yeah. shoes and things like that and brought NBA yeah, really out. absolutely. Yeah. So what's your memory of Warney, Ben? Do you have a favourite? Uh, one memory I had, I think he was on 99 here at the Wacker, was it? <laughs> yeah. And he uh, holiday got caught on 99 and yeah. that was one of the biggest memories I have of Warney, seeing that. But yeah, just an incredible player and that gadding ball as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think my two would be that hat-trick that he got at the MCG um, mm-hmm. against England and leading, I think it was the semi-final against South Africa in the 1999 World Cup where Australia posted a pretty average total. I think it was in the 220 or so yeah. and South Africa were looking quite good. They're about zero for 40 and Warren came in. I don't think he had the best World Cup until that moment and he came in and got three quick wickets. And just his passion and then how he just changed the game. And I think because of his influence in that, getting those three wickets changed the game. And I think they won or they drew to advance to the final. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Just yeah. watching that, that team, like watching, you know, McGrath and, and, and Warren and Ponting and War, the Wars. And what a time. Yeah. What a time. Yeah. You know, there's, I was, when, I was, when you were talking about that, I was just thinking about um, Glenn McGrath I think Glenn McGrath, when you mentioned the hat trick, I think Glenn McGrath, if I'm right in remembering, was the person who came up with the idea of lifting the ball after uh, a bowler had taken five wickets, isn't it? Yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, again, so this was the calibre of the thinking of that team that batsmen had a way to celebrate a century, but bowlers didn't. And how had the game gone for all of that time without an opportunity to celebrate bowlers in the same way. So they came up with this idea of holding the ball up and they talked about it. And, you know, you're balancing out, well, are people going to think you're stupid and is the crowd going to respect that? And, okay, well, do you know what? We'll just have to give it a go. And they did. And so there's another little legacy that is left in the game because of the way those guys, they just broke the game down into elements and they reassessed every element and said doesn't need to be that way and why do we do it like that and is that still relevant today could we do that differently how can we do that better yeah that's what what an amazing group of guys who could have just used their talent to play brilliant cricket in the way that great cricketers before them had done but they did something else as well they actually went beyond that and they changed the game forever I'm sure, I'm sure there are eras before where they would yeah. look back and say, hey, you know, when um, we changed something about the game. But I think there were so many innovations that came out of that era of, of players because of the calibre of the intelligence and the cricket intelligence of that group of people. You know, now when they mic up players, uh, when they used to mic up Warney or Warney is a commentator and he'd say, this is what's going to happen now. This is going to happen and that's going to happen and it'll go this way. And surely enough, it did. And you think, you know, he just, he saw the game, I guess, like a Michael Jordan or other goats see the game as something that they can play like a puppet 
I know if I do this, this will happen and I can change a game. I can lift a team. I can bring a crowd into the game. I can dominate a particular opposition. Uh, but they did it from... They, they were so proud to play for their country and they were so indebted to each other, so connected to each other. There was a oneness about them that meant that I think the people who loved the game could really happily celebrate them. Whereas that's not always the case with players of the modern era. Now, you know, I think the fan feels somewhat sometimes disconnected from the greatest players because they don't seem to be about the game or be about the team. You know, are they a bit more about themselves? Is that same camaraderie still the case? And I had reason to be talking to Brad Hogg just a couple of days ago. I have not talked to him for more than a decade. Hmm. He was talking about how difficult it's difficult to explain to people how hard it is to transition away from that connectedness and to try to replicate anything like that in life after sport. Because if you happen to be in one of those elite teams, and it isn't necessarily that it's the greatest level of eliteness, you know, people connect in sport at whatever level they play. But if you're lucky enough to be in something that is a really tight uh, talented, successful, happy team, to replicate that in life after the game is almost nothing like it. Um, and, and he was saying for a lot of players there is nothing like it and so their lives afterwards are really difficult. It's, you know, a lot of mental health issues, a lot of feeling lost as a person because it's a, it's dif- it's a different kind of friendship, it's a different kind of mateship, a different kind of connection and... I think that oneness, uh, we would, Brad and I, we were talking about how strong that was within that team and how much it was a base for the success of that team. He was recently at uh, Andrew Simon's funeral and wake mm. and, and he said the conversation amongst the guys was, I think he said, Jimmy Ma said, uh, Roy was consistently inconsistent. So, you know, <laughs> he was... All over the shop, and he and you, you know, he could be out doing outrageous things, but as soon as you needed him, he was absolutely there, and you knew he would be. And he was, I think, Hoggy said, the most Australian character that Hoggy had ever met. In that he was the iconic Australian. He was open. He was honest. He was grounded. He was funny. Uh, he was loyal. He was such an amazing mate, and that he would not stand for anything but the truth. You know, he was just called a spade a spade and stood up for causes or mates or, you know, whatever wrongdoing he saw. And he probably was not politically correct sometimes because he was just so straight in the way that he saw life and the way that he behaved. So, again, you know, these kind of fantastic characters brought all of that goodness, all of that depth of character and values, you know, amazing personal values that turned into a team that committed to behave for each other and of each other in a way in order to be successful, but also that made the game great. They, they were such great representatives of their country and their, you know, their clubs and their families and their, their states, but they were, they were just a great bunch of Australians. Recently, I read or I saw a story about Andrew Simons where he he requested a pay cut 
um, from Cricket Australia so he could spend more time fishing rather than doing some of his media obligations. Is, was that a true story or is that... Oh, I don't know. Don't know? I don't know, but I can imagine it. I know that they're professional athletes and money and the opportunity to earn a living and support their families and you know, all of that is important as it is to any of us in, in our careers. But, uh, yeah, I can absolutely imagine that he would be the sort of person who'd say, look, money makes me happy to a certain extent, but if I don't have these other things, it's really not going to matter. So can we can we do both? And mm. if that means I have to take a pay cut, then so be it. But, you know, again, that just refreshing honesty to sit down and say, this is what would work for me. Yep. Good on him. That was um, really epic chat about cricket, Narelle. So many insights and, and, and so great to hear about, I guess, the golden era of Australian cricket. I know you're very busy. So before you go, I just wanted to quickly ask you, I know you're a big Fremantle fans, sorry, Fremantle Dockers fan. What are your Woo-hoo! thoughts? What's <laughs> happening in the last half of the year? Are they going into the finals and going to be in the grand final? Oh, gosh. I don't, I'm going to play the superstition card here. <laughs> I, just, I don't want to um, heap too much responsibility on them, but why not? I look at the messaging that's coming out of the team and it's really... It's consistent, it's humble, um, you know, it's about good work. Uh, they seem to, I, I don't have anything to do with the club these days, but I watch on lovingly from afar and, you know, I would be so excited to see them finally get that flag. Let's see what the season holds. There's a lot of seasons still to come and uh, we've been very lucky with injuries. We've got a young group of guys who maybe are you know, robust enough to cope with whatever this kind of challenging era of COVID and other things is throwing at teams. I just love to see them there. My team before the Dockers was Melbourne uh, because my football heritage is the good old Cardies, West Perth. My father was West Perth fan, so I grew up loving the Cardies. And so red and blue were my football colours. So when when the VFL became the AFL, I adopted Melbourne. Then I moved to Melbourne. And so Melbourne was my team. I was a card-carrying member at Melbourne. And then, of course, you mix red and blue together and you get purple. So <laughs> lucky, lucky for me to have the opportunity to be yeah. invited to go and work at Dockers and, you know, be there through another interesting time in sport. I would, I think they deserve it. I think that they have put up with some really tough times and they've held their, their head up. And, and uh, in, an, in a market where we obviously have a very strong, very successful competitor, you know, that's a hard place to just keep hanging in there. Mm. So, yes, all good things to them. I certainly hope so. Before you go, we always ask a, a what would you rather to our guests. So I have one. Um, go for it. Would you rather Fremantle win a premiership this year or would you rather them not win this year and win in 15 years' time but win two in a row? Can you wait that this long? Year. This year. This year. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think um, I remember... Cameron Schwab and, and some of the great football brains that I was lucky enough to work with, because I certainly didn't go there with a the football brain, they used to talk about the grand final window and that it opens and teams go through cycles and that you can see the grand final window coming. And I mean, that's what you're aiming for, isn't it? You're setting mm. up all of your recruitment, all of everything is aiming for that. And the window opens and then it closes. And you have to be able to bring everything together in that very small window to make it work 
and you know how long it's going to take before it comes around. So it's not unrealistic to think that it might be 15 years in between cycles. Yes, the brand would take it. You know, they've proven themselves enough, I think. Uh, the good old Frio fans would hang in there, but they deserve it. And it would be wonderful to just get that monkey off the back and say, hey, we've had the first one, and if the next one takes another 15 years, so be it. But, yeah, let's celebrate this year. Why not? <laughs> 2022 win. sounds like a great year. If they win this they year, win. it could be back-to-back, -back maybe, if they're playing. <sighs> well, I wasn't offered that option, but I would take that, obviously. <laughs> so have you got yeah. the flag mantle tattoo, or is that after... <laughs> no, I think that would be the after. After, okay. In advance. I'm sure there are there are many people who would happily rush to go and do that. Yep. Being the loyal Frio fans that they are. Well, um, thanks heaps for joining us, Narelle. It's been so great to chat about um to chat about cricket and to touch on Fremantle as well. Being a West Coast supporter, it can be a little bit tough to talk about Frio, but they're doing well. So hopefully, yeah, they continue doing their one WA side. Can yeah. you get a flag this year? Exactly. Thank you to you, Eagles supporters. That's very respectful and yeah. very hard, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm going to cut that bit out. but uh, yeah. Fair enough. Thanks so much for joining us. What a chat. I mean, I think we could probably just sit here and listen to you talk and reminisce and about your experiences for another hour. No, well, uh, we, we could be talking live golf and all kinds of you know, now things about yeah. this. Interesting things. There's always interesting things happening in sport, isn't there? There is. Yeah. And I think off the back of this, we have to get you on for a second time soon. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Love to. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks so much, Narelle. Pleasure. Thank you very Bye much. Now. Have a great weekend. Bye. You too. See ya. See ya. Call ended. Epic chat. How epic, epic chat. was that? I'm so glad Ballerine's sick. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, that was uh, amazing. I think, yeah, like I said, I could just sat there and listen to Narelle talk all day, I think. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could. We could <laughs> yeah. just throw a question every now and then and hear just an absolute... Awesome answer come yeah. through. Amazing. Oh, who would have thought our little podcast would have such interesting guests? We've had a lot. I think each week it's great to have these unique chats to different people, whether it's music, sports, artists, carpenters, BMXs. We're going to have Ballerine on next week, probably talking about wrestling. Maybe <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe insurance advice, perhaps. <laughs> exactly. Um, I need to go and alleviate myself. No problem. Okay, thank you. Uh, should, when we come back, should we maybe continue the chat Another beer, or do you want to blend? Um, let's do a blend. Let's do a blend? All right. Sounds good. Do you want to come cross swords? <laughs> no, thanks. No. <laughs> no chunks. So. What, what's the segment called again? <laughs> will, it, will it drink? Can we drink it? Can you drink Can it? Can you drink yeah. it? Do you want to know what we're drinking? I certainly do. How do you feel about Viagra, Albert? <laughs> no, I haven't put any Viagra. Viagra and breast milk, please. <laughs> I wish, yeah, that'd be great. One mix and a meat pie. Fuck that. Uh, today, apple pie, custard, ice cream, milk, just to loosen things up, and just a hint of spiced rum in there today. That sounds really good, and I like it that it sounds something that you would drink in the winter. Yeah. Cheers, Viva. Cheers, Viva. Smell the rum. That is just delightful. How much rum is there? Uh, I think maybe yeah. one shot. One shot of rum, I think. <laughs> can you taste it? I can smell it and taste it. You get angry. No. <laughs> Rage rum. Do you think that's nice? It tastes like eggnog or... Oh, man. It's interesting. It's pretty good. 
Have we just come up with something last week and this week? I think that's my favourite one. Are we opening up a bar? I think we're opening up. Do you reckon anyone will buy the um, the meat pie one? <laughs> no. I think last week's one and this week's. Thank you. I finally got a, the staff. Wow. That, <laughs> that was... No, that's so good. Shout out to Tanya, who uh, also suggested this drink today as well. Um, so while we're enjoying the Can you drink it? Yes, you can. Yeah, absolutely you can. Wow. <laughs> I accidentally bought a big family-sized apple pie. I thought yeah. that way I was getting the individual little four-pack mm. and opened this morning. I was like, idiot. Absolute idiot. So you're going to drink this and you're going to make one more? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to sit in my bathtub and eat pie. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. Happy with that. What else we got to do? Finish off the episode while we enjoy our beverage. I was going to ask you things you wish you never saw. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to think about that. And I came up with two things that I wish I never saw. Should I go with one and then you, you go one? Yeah. All right. So when I was in Bali a while ago, I was getting a, a massage. <laughs> and I'm in my undies. And they start to massage my like, thigh and groin region. And I just remember sitting, laying there thinking, please don't get a boner. Please don't get a boner. And Too I, late. And I looked down and... Yeah, the masseuse had a boner. Not really. <laughs> the shock in your face, that was a fake story. But <laughs> you literally were like, what? What? No, that's a made up story. <laughs> she did not have a boner. <laughs> now, one thing that I wish I hadn't seen, there's this girl on, this lady on YouTube. I think she's maybe Chinese or something. And she's eating something called geoduck clam. Mm-hmm. And basically this clam... It pretty much just looks like a dick and balls, right? She slaps it to make it hard and long, and then it's raw, so it's basically still alive. And she bites into it, and every time she bites into it, there's just like seawater or some sort of water just yeah. gushing out of this thing, and it's yeah. so it's pretty gross. So I wish I didn't watch that video eight times. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's quite hard. I'm just trying to think of things. At the time, I was about nine or ten years old, we were playing backyard cricket, and I think maybe my mum hopped out to go oh God. to the shops. So it was just, um, I was at home, a couple of mates. We raced inside, I think, to get some water. It was quite hot. We were playing cricket. Then one of the guys said, oh, have you ever looked under your mum's bed before? Because I looked under my mum's bed and some porn mags or something like that. And then I said no. So then, because my mum wasn't there, we walked into a room, had to look underneath the bed and then we saw a tape it was unlabeled tape it was a the old vhs tape so we've grabbed it we've put it into the vcr press play so we're like nine years old and we press play and it was a close-up of a penis entering a vagina so it was like a porn, oh, movie, really? porn movie it wasn't my mum's it was her partner's at the time wait <laughs> what his tape oh okay no no it was just a porn tape it wasn't my mum or anyone like that. But, oh, okay, So we put right. this video on. It's yeah. like this close-up <laughs> yeah. of porn. Mm-hmm. We're nine year, we're nine, ten years old. We've just yeah. pressed stop. Like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite innocent back then. Oh, my God, what was that? So we've taken it out. <laughs> I put it back underneath um, the bed, and that was my mum's um, partner's tape at the time. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure. I Maybe I have to bring it up with my mum. That's yeah. Knowing my mum, how she is, there's no way it's hers. <laughs> Maybe just ask her. Um, should we get her on the phone? 
<laughs> oh shit. So at the time I thought I wish I had never seen yeah, yeah I wish I didn't see that. Yeah, I guess you're lucky it wasn't the old lady. You uh, didn't expect that one? No, I was I was when you said that I thought, Wow, Mrs. Pulver <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Definitely not. See I don't have anything that bad. Like I don't think I've ever seen like parental sex tapes or anything like that. Just to be clear, that wasn't a parental sex tape. Yeah, yeah, but even I've never gone under their bed and found a pornography. So I guess I had a bit more of a normal childhood. <laughs> uh, I don't like watching how food is mass produced. Do you, okay. know, you watch videos like factories, like how they make yeah. burgers and or do like Macca's burgers and it just really turns me off. Yeah. I still eat it, but I'm just at the time I'm like, oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. Mass produced food and close-ups of insects. Don't like it. <laughs> Do you ever watch <laughs> close-ups of insects? Yeah, just like videos or movies or documentaries, sex tapes of insects. No. Uh, whenever they're just like tiny, like ants, close-ups of ants, I guess in particular. And there's this virus. Do you remember playing the game The Last of Us? Yeah. So there's a virus, and it was actually, I think, based off a real sort of virus that exists in nature, not for humans, but for ants. And it's called cordyceps, I think. And it's okay. a fungus, and an ant gets infected with it. And they don't really know. They, I think they go a bit crazy and then they end up back in the colony and this fungus just erupts from their brain, right? And then it takes over the colony and just destroys everything. And seeing that in close-up, like this fungus exploding from... It's pretty, pretty crazy. <laughs> so that, not a fan. My last one is, dude, where's my car? <laughs> oh, you wish you hadn't seen that? <laughs> yeah. I hated that. Really? At the time, yeah. And I don't think I've watched it since. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's pretty much all the things I wish I never saw. No, and then? Maybe you don't like that. <laughs> and then... Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, All right, fair enough. I was so disappointed because that came out after American Pie. Oh, it's still And fun. American Pie was such a good film, and yep. it still is a good film. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that, thinking, oh, this is going to be great. It's got Stifler in there. It's going to be awesome. Ashton Kutcher, I think, was pretty popular at the time. Yeah. And then watching it, even... Oh, I was just so disappointed. Yeah. And thought, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was actually pretty shit. It was. The next thing I wanted to talk about is I'm not always the most serious person in the world. Most, this is correct. Most, most yeah. often. I'm not serious <laughs> You have a serious side, but... I was going to ask you workplace pranks. Have you ever witnessed any or done any pranks? I've done a few pranks and I was writing down a list of pranks that I've done and it turns out I'm an actual jerk because <laughs> I had so many in mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've got to work on myself <laughs> after this. But... Uh, a couple of them involved one of our guests that we were Ballerine. He was meant to be here today, but ah. he, he has the uh, the herpes, I think. <laughs> and or COVID or just the flu. Herpes COVID flu. Uh, so we used to work together, obviously workplace pranks, and Ballerine had just sort of started, and we used to work in a drive through bottle shop. And we'd have pallets of beers or whatever stacked up on each other, and we used to have to climb up a ladder and sort of get them down so we could fill up a fridge. So Ballerine, young, fresh-faced guy, excited with his new career. I asked him to help me get down some, I think they were cartons of premixed vodkas. So I've climbed up the ladder, you know, a couple of metres high, and I'd actually emptied out a carton of UDLs and uh, sticky taped it back together. Yeah. And the plan was I'd pass him down one or two full-weight cartons of beer and then throw <laughs> this empty carton at him. So I executed the plan flawlessly and he's in the middle of the drive-thru and he's absolutely panicked, fallen to the ground, yelled his glasses has gone off his head. There's customers in their cars just having a good old laugh and he's just classic, classic ballerine prank. You effing C, I think is what he would say. He 
has copped a few pranks. He, he's so prankable. Do you <laughs> have so one? Prankable. One of the ones that you have? Uh, I've got quite a few. Do you remember me signing you up to a whole bunch of emails on your workplace email address? Uh, no. What? Like about 30. I subscribed you to about 30 different websites. I do not remember this. <laughs> when did this happen? <laughs> 10 years ago or so. Are you for serious? Yeah, because I remember you sent me a message saying, did you sign me up? I've just been subscribed to about 30 different websites. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. No? What email was that? Yahoo? Does not go no, no, it was your work email. My work email? Yeah. Holy shit. Um, we'll, <laughs> what a jerk. We'll, we'll move on from that because it wasn't that memorable, obviously. At one of my jobs, we swapped two people's computers around. Yeah. Before they came into work. Uh-huh. So once they started their computers, the password's not working they couldn't get into the computer. They're freaking out what's happening. We come around and say, oh, ha-ha, we swapped, <laughs> we swapped the computers. <laughs> They've sort of relaxed. We've swapped the computers back. One of the guys could get in and the other guy couldn't get into his computer. <laughs> yeah. And he's making us feel really bad. And we worked out in the end, he just couldn't get into his computer because the username was still his guest. Oh, okay, right, yeah. But, um, yeah, that was quite an epic, I guess it took a lot of time. To swap computers yeah, around, yeah, yeah, and we did put one of the guys, his computer mouse, we put into some jelly. So before we left one day yeah. at work, he left at whatever five yeah. o'clock. We've gone and grabbed his computer mouse, made some jelly, <laughs> popped it in the fridge, <laughs> yeah, so got to work a little bit early the next day, and yeah. then um, presented it to him. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, man, I tried to something similar. So we had this uh, guy at work older than us, but such a good character, Spuddy's name was, and every time he went on leave, I would do something to his computer or his desk or something like that. One time I, I tried to grow grass in his keyboard because he would oh, eat yeah, his I've desk. That yeah. One, yeah. yeah, that didn't work. Uh, <laughs> That's a long-term one. It was a long-term. He was off for like six weeks. So, But another time, so he always had these this little tray of uh, vitamins and yeah. olive leaf extract and all this stuff. He was into like these remedies. So one day he, when he went on leave, I printed out uh, a Viagra label from the internet and put it on one of his multivitamins. <laughs> so he's come to work and he's undone his, uh, I think it was olive leaf extract and had his, had his Viagra. And he thought it was hilarious. He just laughed it. So he left it there. Yeah. And then one day somebody came into the, into the little section that we worked in and I knew the girl and she's seen <laughs> the Viagra and she's sort of like... Not really said anything, but like said something to me like, is that Viagra at his desk? I was like, yeah, that's it was a prank. It's not real Viagra. So after that, he took it down. <laughs> it's quite funny. That is funny. That is, that's good. I've, I've done so many. We could yeah. do an episode just uh, on work. Pranks, yeah. Pranks. Most um, of them on Ballerine. I did some, we threw some water bombs at someone. Um, another one we did was we changed their signature. Oh, yeah. So this one guy, I'll say his name. His name was Nicholas. Hmm. So I think he's... On his signature, he had Nick and then a surname, and I've just changed it to Nicki Minaj. So, <laughs> yeah. He's had to email, he was in accounts, so he's emailing a lot of external people, yeah. a lot of suppliers, warehouses, and he had that for about two weeks. Mm -hmm. He got me back and changed my surname to Duckstein. So that I'm sending this email out. That was Howard your original Duckstein. surname, wasn't it? Before you changed it. Um, but yeah, the translation was Duckstein, but yeah. it was um, Duck, yeah. So. 
I love a good prank. Uh, should I tell one more of Ballerine? <laughs> should we save it for next week? I've got a good, such a good Ballerine one because he'll remember this too. So I'll leave that for next week for Ballerine. Let's talk about more workplace pranks next week. Yep. And let's try a couple of Guess the Movies. I've got a Would You Rather first though. Oh, yeah. All right, hit me. Maybe we'll just do one. I found this one today and I thought this is actually pretty good. It's not our usual poo related or <laughs> anything like that. So here we go. Would you rather have your dead body found on a pile of sex toys or a pile of drugs? You're naked as well. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Reputation is tarnished either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably because I'm married, got a child. Maybe go the drugs. Go the drugs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not the sex toys. Because <laughs> I guess you die, your partners would die knowing, okay, you had a problem with drugs. Mm. Instead of dying knowing, like, <laughs> you're probably with sex toys. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. <laughs> you weren't. Happy with me as a partner and things yeah, like that. Okay. So I'd probably go the drugs here. Okay. Yeah, that is a tough one. Because uh, imagine that just being naked with a big old black dildo on your butt and a ball oh, gag. inside. Well, and all the other toys around you as well. Because imagine... I thought you were just laying on them. You are, but obviously you've, not been, that using, that's you've been using them, right? You've been using the drugs. You've been using the toys. That's not going to change my... Yeah, yeah, I'll go the drugs. Okay, still the drugs. Uh, your phone's probably out. I'd see what was on your phone, so... Yeah, I think the drugs, because that's probably a more realistic scenario too for me. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I win lotto, just, that's it. Dead. I don't know, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Should we do Guess the Movie? Guess the Movie, yep. Let's do it. Would you like to go first again? Shoot. Hey, you got a name? Allie, with an I. Hey, what's your name? Daniel. It's Karate Kid, right? <laughs> that is. By yeah. the way, I didn't mention it last week, but that is maybe my all-time favourite movie when we were talking about favourite movies as kids. Yeah, even though Daniel is the bully in that movie. <laughs> no, he's not. Yeah. All right, I'll do this one. Let's see how you go. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. I haven't seen the movie, but is it taken? It is taken, yep. You haven't seen it. It's such a pretty famous quote. Eh? It's so good, that, sec that scene. Yep. All right, ready? Go, shoot. The Karate Kid one, I tried to get one that was a little bit harder because there's so many memorable scenes like Mr. Miyagi and stuff, you would have got it. Just in the shower. Easy, yeah. <laughs> I did know Rue. She wasn't just my ally, she was my friend. I see her in the flowers that grow in the meadow by my house. Do I have to guess the exact movie? Or yes, can I just you say do. The Hunger Games? No. Hunger Games, which one? Uh, I've, uh, I really don't like the movies that much. So really? Not really. Because I feel like there's one of the movies where she should have died so many times in the first one. And I hate <laughs> it when the, when the main actor or someone gets away with... You know, just dying, and yeah. like especially, I hate when someone's standing behind them, their back is turned, and they've got a gun or a knife or something. And instead of like just straight up shooting them in the back of the head or stabbing them, they push them or punch or them or slowly, yeah, or say something. Just do it, kill them, off you go, boom. Yeah. Uh, so the first one is the hunt, the hunt is the first one, Mockingjay. I think so. Uh, I can't remember. So let's say this, the second. Oh. No, this, the first one's not Mockingjay. No, it's not. The first one's just the Hungry, Hungry Games. So is this one Mockingjay? 
This is Catching Fire. Catching Fire, okay. Is that the first one? Catching Fire, no. no. I, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's disappointing then. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you probably pay that one. Give me 50%. All right, if you don't get this one, you're a shit guy. No. <laughs> Yeah. One Swedish-made penis enlarger pump. That's not mine. One credit card receipt for Swedish-made penis enlarger. Is this Austin Powers? Yeah, but which one? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna make you the second one. No, it's the first one. Is it? Yeah. Oh. So right, half again. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie. That was Since a class, high school, That was another one that came out sort of nowhere and was yeah. so good. Have you seen it recently? No, not recently, no. It's good. It's really good. All right, last one. This each. one's... I think I've got easy ones this week, so let's go. It's me coming out of the shower and decides to come on to me. I'm looking good. I've got a luscious V of hair going from my chest pubes down to my ball throat. <laughs> she takes one look at me and she goes... It's Step Brothers, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought I heard, was that John C. Riley? Yeah. And I was like, oh, God, yeah. is this that Dewey Cox story? But no. <laughs> and then, no, cool. All right, last one from me. You might struggle with this one. Let's see. You can fire uh, Professor Xavier. Who are you talking about? You mean Hank? Creeps me out, rolling around all day in a special little secret chair. I know he's up to something. I'm not going to fire anyone. Okay, I'm going to fire it. It might be a bit hard, actually, in retrospect. Well, it's not X-Men, but they're talking about X-Men. Is it Horrible Bosses? It is Horrible Bosses. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was watching that and I thought, it's such a funny scene where he's like, you've got to fire Large Marge because <laughs> she's fat. <laughs> like, she's pregnant. Mate. <laughs> such a good... That's, yeah, that movie, so funny. All right, so I think we've got a few things left over for next week. Yeah, we've Mr. got Ballerine. Mr. Ballerine. Hopefully he's fit. We've got a quiz, right, for next week? We've got a quiz, so it's going to be called The Curious Quiz. Yep. Based on hard quiz, more or less. So each of you will have a specialty topic, Mm -hmm. which I will not mention. Following your specialty topic, there will be a minute of questions, basically. So the timer will go off, 60 seconds. Yep. And after that, we will crown a winner. So we also thought about doing a, cha- a weekly challenge. Yeah. Is that going to start this week or should we start that next week? Let's start it. So the weekly challenge that I've come up with for this week is I'm going to go to Red Dot. I'm going to find an item, take a photo of it, and I'll describe it to you, maybe not completely, but well enough that you might be able to go to Red Dot and locate the item that I'm talking about. Okay. And get a photo to prove that you found it, and then we'll see how, how you went. All right, sounds good. That could be a bit of fun. Sounds like a good challenge. Yeah. All right. So we got we got a plan for this week. Let's do it. So good chat. Actually, good chat. Long chat. That was a good one. It was a real good one. See you next week. Have a good weekend. You too, mate. Bye. See ya. If you die, can I have your car? Sweet. Ah! Oh, Curious ramblings. <laughs> have a fun show.